0: Welcome to the Learnability Podcast. How well prepared will you be for it when it arrives? These are some of the questions that our guest today asks and answers frequently because, as she describes herself, she is a Futurist Alchemist. What is a Futurist Alchemist? What do they do? And how can they help? That's what we're going to find out. So, can we please have a big round of applause for Charlotte Camp? Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you, Ian. Nice to have you on the show. As always, when I listen to podcasts, I have no idea of what the people are like who are being interviewed. So just to get to know you, uh, a few quick questions. Sure. And as this show is about learnability and education and learning, let's start off with what was your school days like?
1: I love learning, but I didn't really enjoy school very much. I'm not entirely sure why. I know I moved around to a lot of schools when I was younger, but I think, I think it was the institutional nature of school that I kind of rebelled against. And my youngest daughter has just finished school, and I felt like I'd finally been released <laughs> from having to be part of the school system. But having said that, I still have lots of great experiences, and learning is absolutely its a delight for me. So it, it's not about the learning, it's just about the institution.
0: Hmm. Yes, the institution. Uh, yeah. We might be talking about that and the future of the uh, learning institutions in a bit. Shirley, you must have had some good experiences at school. Did, did you have any good teachers?
1: I have uh, three good teachers. Uh, two really primary ones: um, Mr. Richard Deidrichs, uh, Mr. Rice, and uh, there was a Mr. Orchard. Uh, Deidrichs and Rice were uh, and Orchard were in junior school. Uh, Mr. Orchard talked about history. Uh, but he kind of like acted out the scenes in the classroom and did these amazing things, talking about uh, South African Zulu history and was talking about Sharka Zulu. And he kind of illustrated how the guys would plunge in the sphere and turn it around and pull it out and the (laughs) sound that it made. And how old was I in junior school? But I can still remember and feel that experience. But he brought it to life. Um, Mr. Deidrex was our Uh, maths teacher, and he took some of us who showed an interest in maths and learning, and he he got us into his own car, and he took us into into the town, and we went into um, stockbroker's offices, and they showed us around, and we were little, little kids, but they were taking us seriously in our learning journey. And Mr. Rice also in in high school just brought so many things to life. And uh, I was talking to to another educator a while ago and he was asking similar questions and and it just brought back all those memories. And to be able to really appreciate those teachers from so very long ago uh, just indicates, you know, if I had that little experience, you know, imagine all the lives that they have touched and inspired. Absolutely wonderful.
0: He took you in his car.
1: Yeah.
0: as As a child. Yes.
1: It was allowed I'm in those sure. days.
0: <laughs> yes, things have things have changed since then. All right, right. Yeah. And just to get an idea, as you, of yourself as as a human being, mm. if if you arranged to go on a blind date or a, a, just a, a blind coffee <laughs> with the listener, who would they be looking out for in the bar, and what sort of a coffee would they would they have with you?
1: Well, if I was going out uh, in person, um, I would probably be wearing a waistcoat or something steampunky. So they're looking for me; they they might be able to identify that. But what we would talk about would just be ideas and concepts, and and what is the future like, and how do we think about and feel about the future and the past, and what are we what are we discovering, what are we curious and and creative about. So, and there's a, a whole. Range of conversations you can have when you're just exploring mutual uh, curiosity.
0: That dovetails is in perfectly to <laughs> the meat of the the session then, mm. because you are a futurist alchemist, mm. as you say on your website. So let's let's answer the the first burning question because maybe if the listener is anything like me, they think of of futurists as as being crystal ball gazers Mm. or people like Nostradamus, who just write down very vague things. Yes. When they come true, they say, oh yes, I told you so. What is a futurist?
1: So lots of myths to dispel and there are no crystal balls, although sometimes they pull them out just to kind of uh, spice up the conversation. But, but being a futurist, and my position is, obviously I'm, I'm studying, I'm writing, I'm working in this space, but my position is everyone is a natural futurist. So if you have looked forward to next year, if you created a business plan, if you have holiday plans, if you've got a retirement plan, if you have raised children and educated them and prepared them for the world, you are a natural futurist. So we all are, but we can be better at it. And it's not about predicting the future. Uh, it's it's impossible to predict exactly what is going to happen. Uh, you know, that, that can't happen. And that's why Nostradamus's predictions are so vague that, you know, we can fit them to any kind of time in history, we could kind of make them fit. But it's not about predicting the future. A futurist and all the work that we do in this space is about preparing our, ourselves for the future. So we need to understand uh, there's kind of like two approaches. Either we're exploring what is coming, uh, so we're preparing ourselves for it, We're making sure we have the right skills and the mindset and the tools that we need to go into the future. The other kind of approach is that we actually get to create the future. And a lot of people don't feel like they have enough influence over the future. So I love science fiction. And there's so many science fiction movies where uh, time travelers go back in the past and they're terrified of standing on the butterfly or bumping into um, an ancestor of theirs and messing up the timeline. And so we feel like if we go back in the past, our tiniest actions can radically change our present, but we don't seem to feel like we've got any agency in this moment over the future. So we're looking at the future going, oh, I can't do anything, it's just me. But whether we're talking about our personal future or our organization or our city or our country or the world, we actually have an influence over the future because of how we we act. So a lot of my work is, is getting people to see that picture Uh, Really embrace the agency they have over the future and then create the kind of scenarios that will help their mind to prepare for those eventualities. So uh, we can influence certain things, but other things happen. You know, are we going to be devastated and take to bed and pull the duvet over our heads for a week? Or are we going to really, you know, step up and embrace this and respond? That's the work of a futurist.
0: You remind me of my son. Who's an extremely bad futurist? <laughs> he's he's eleven years old, bless him, <laughs> and we have we have a deal, Be, we have an arrangement, should yeah. I say? Because we the the problem is is that that the little fella is uh, addicted to his Nintendo Switch, and he wants to play his Nintendo Switch all the time, mm. and we say no no no, this this is not a good idea, and so we have an arrangement where he can play on the Nintendo Switch for three days a week Mm -hmm. and we get him to try to pick which three days he's going to play his Nintendo Switch on on a Sunday evening at the evening meal on a Sunday we say right now come on what days do you want to play your Nintendo Switch and for instance uh, last Sunday he said well I'll do Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Right, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We say, are you sure? Right, you got this clear. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday means not Monday, tomorrow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not Tuesday, not Wednesday. That's Thursday, Friday and Saturday. You're not going to come and say that you want to change your days tomorrow, for instance, are you? And he says, no, no, no. The next day, yeah. I pick him up from school and the first Words that come out of his head are Can I change my day? <laughs> can I can I play Nintendo this afternoon? Because he, he he's constantly living in the present mm. and he really struggles to understand what it's gonna be like living in the tomorrow.
1: Yeah
0: do you think this rings any bells with grown-ups, or do you think it's just a problem of 11 year olds No,
1: I have a lot of empathy for that. I really do. I mean, I'm a good couple of decades older than your son and I still have that kind of problem sitting on a Sunday, planning out my next week and saying I'm going to spend all of Wednesday, you know, creating content and doing things. And then I wake up on Wednesday and I'm just not in the mood for it. And I want to do something else. So it, it is a constant struggle. Um, and and I don't I don't have any parenting advice there um my children said I was far too lenient that they're, they're old enough now to say they got away with things that they shouldn't have but yes it, it is a struggle um and it's not about necessarily whether we you know pick up something we want to do or put down something we want to do that that we're kind of enthusiastic about it's uh, it, it's kind of in, in the terms of you know a Nintendo game, um, you know what else is there that could capture his imagination, or what else could you tie to his his enjoyment of Nintendo that could encourage him? So you know maybe it's like uh, if you if you do a couple of hours of maths, then maybe one day you could be the kind of person who could create a Nintendo game for someone else. But they need to see a bigger picture of, of what's happening. But it is very, very common for people to want to withdraw into that, that space that they really enjoy and uh, escape from the world a little bit. I really get that. Yeah.
0: Another thing about looking at the future uh, and, and predicting how things are going to be mm-hmm. for us in, in a sort of very general sense. It also reminds me of, I don't know, have you, have you read the book Anti-Fragile?
1: I haven't read it yet, but I do know about the concepts, yeah.
0: Right. It's by a fellow called Nassim Taleb. Yes. I understand. He, he's the author of Black Swans That's as right, well. That's yeah. It's a very thought-provoking book. Uh, but the one thing that, that stood out for me is that he says that people generally plan for the future in a sense that everything is going to go well. Mm-hmm. And if things go badly, then they'll deal with it when it happens. That's true, and he says that this this is completely the wrong way around. He says what people should do is they should plan for things going badly, and if things go well, then they'll deal with it when it happens <laughs> All right. and it does it does make a lot more sense it does, you know yeah you, the, the time to buy a fire extinguisher is now before you have a that's fire that's right not not when you have a fire when you when your kitchen is in flames, you don't think, oh, maybe I should get on Amazon and order a, a household fire extinguisher. <laughs> it's a bit late then that is uh, yeah. so,
1: so you know, uh, you know I, I do agree with him to a certain extent that we don't uh you know we don't plan for those fire drills enough we, we need to really embrace uh you know some worst case scenarios so in, in futures thinking we we generally talk about three scenarios and if you just think about a business plan that you're developing or any kind of plan you know for your education your family uh whatever your health even we have a we have a we have a plan that assumes next year is going to be at least 10% better than last year, we just kind of extrapolate and we always assume that life is just going to get a little bit better each year. Uh, I think the last couple of years have proved to us that that is not necessarily true. But but I would actually say we need to create the scenarios for the best case, like your utopian uh, once in a lifetime opportunity coming your way, as well as the absolute disaster. So what the, you know, the disaster scenario is, what happens if in 2022 something comes along that is worse than what we just experienced two years of COVID? Now we don't want to think about that, and and our immediate reactions is that kind of like, um, awful feeling in our stomach, um, and if we if we keep thinking about it too long, we get the kind of hollow sound in our ears and the dizziness and you know like tunnel vision, and and, we, and it, it's an awful physiological experience to imagine how bad things could be, but at the same time a whole lot of physiological responses happen when we think about our absolute, you know, best case scenario, like once in a lifetime opportunity. And if we don't think about those two, and and experience the emotions, allow our body to actually experience all of those emotions, we can never get past them to the logical place. So it's logical to buy a fire extinguisher, but in the middle of a fire, you're not being logical, you're, you're, you're doing some weird things. And two days later, you're going to go back and say, why did I do that? Why did I, you know, run in and rescue um, a book instead of a plant or something like that? You're going to wonder what, what is going on in your brain. So we, we need to give ourselves the space as humans to experience the chemistry in our brains about these extreme emotions. And once we've done that, then we create good business plans, good responses. Uh, so yeah, Talib is right, we need to spend some time there. That the Stoics call that practice something like, uh, my Latin isn't very good, (laughs) meditatio malorum, which is a a meditation of evils. So we actually need to spend time thinking about our, our own personal worst case and our business worst case. But my public service announcement is, please do that in a safe place. You don't do that when you're out shopping and having a cup of coffee and let's just think about the end of the world. You don't do that when you've got people around. You know, be at home, be in a safe place and allow yourself the time to imagine that to experience the emotion to get past it and then say now how do i make a plan that that never happens or if that happens how will i respond what resources do i need what do i need to learn what you know things do i need to have in my house or in my toolkit that i can respond to this and we can only do that if we're doing the you know the the fire drill
0: when you say that this is what you you do with your clients mm-hmm. are you talking about giving workshops or do you do one-to-one coaching
1: so um i have a, a range of things that i do so a lot of keynotes where i'm kind of introducing concepts to people to challenge them to think about their business or their organization in a different way and um, i'm designing at the moment uh, some some workshops that'll be uh, a kind of a pre-recorded self-paced online learning to go through content as well as online interactive workshops uh And COVID willing, I'm very happy to do workshops live with people. But uh, at this moment, it doesn't happen too often. And I I do coaching uh, with people one-on-one. I've got a model that I use for the future called a a map, compass, and guide. So I don't call it coaching. I'm kind of uh, guiding a person to uh, prepare themselves for their journey with their, their team and giving them the tools and the language and the insights that they need so that they can lead with more confidence and help their team to learn and cope with the future. So, yeah, it's it's a a kind of a a guiding process through that.
0: When it comes to the the future, then, I assume that when you left the educational system with with a big sigh of relief from from (laughs) what you said earlier, that you didn't foresee that you would become a futurist.
1: I I love the fact that, and I've counted, I think, four uh, recent career choices, None of which were available when I finished my degree at university. I, I did a BA in psychology and education, which was helpful and, and good. And I learned a lot about the topic and I learned a lot about how to learn and how to you know, keep learning and to be curious. But uh, since then, I have been a um, social media practitioner and uh, educator. So I've taught people how to use social media. And it wasn't around when I was in university. Uh, I'm I'm a professional speaker. And that wasn't ever a topic that you could choose, that, that you could think about. Uh, I am a futurist. And although futures thinking in terms of academic um, models and stuff, it's called strategic foresight, it has been around for a while, but it's been very elevated. It's been reserved for, you know, serious academics. It's been reserved for governments and, and for multinational organizations. It's not being for the everyday person. So futures thinking wasn't something that I could ever encounter. And I also do a lot of work with associations. I, I love the concept of people coming together and co-creating an organization for their mutual benefit, even though technically they're, they're competition. And I, I love that kind of association space. And I do a lot of work in, the, in that space as well. So four things that I'm, I'm doing, that I love doing, None of which were available when I was in university, so I couldn't prepare for them. Uh, the The expertise that I've gained has come from experience along the journey.
0: Is it fair to say that your style of learning or the way that you achieved uh, the the necessary level? To do these jobs was by trial and error and experience.
1: Absolutely, it's the only way. <laughs> I remember um, speaking to a, a Rotary Club once, uh, and I, I loved Rotary. Every time I went in there, there was somebody there who would, uh, I was coming to talk about social media, and they'd kind of give me a little dig in the ribs and say, "My dear, I was born BC," and then they'd say, "Before computers," and then they would chuckle, and I'd have to laugh along with them, <laughs> and. Um, and, and I wasn't teaching them you know, how to use Facebook or how to log in. I was I was trying to explain the concept of what social media is and, and why it is important for younger generations, uh, even though that generation really didn't embrace it. And I remember once uh, questions at the end of my presentation and I couldn't quite work out what this man was getting at. He was trying to find out, you know, who gave me permission to do this. And I said, well, I was invited by the event organizer. And he says, no, no, about your social media. And eventually it worked out he meant, how did I get qualified enough sufficiently in understanding social media that I have been mandated to be allowed to talk about it to other groups? And, and I said to him, nobody's given me permission. I've worked it out. I know more than the people in this room and I'm sharing it with you. But there are people who know more than me and I go and learn from them. And that's how we learn in this modern age is we, we pass on and we distribute the knowledge and the insights that we have. Um, But nobody is giving certificates to say, okay, you've learned enough now. Now you're allowed to talk about it because the the world is just too quick and and rapid and and evolving uh, to be waiting for permission to share what we've learned.
0: Is there a society of futurists that give people certificates to say that they are an (laughs) authorized certified futurist?
1: So uh, we have the Association of Professional Futurists. And, and it was amazing that I was, you know, Deputy President of the Professional Speakers Association and a professional speaker, but I was a student member of the Association of Professional Futurists. And once I had submitted enough a uh, kind of learning proof, you know, I, I've, I've learned this, and I've done this, and I've achieved that, and I've written a book, and I've spoken, then they allowed me to call myself a professional futurist. And I celebrated the heck out of that, because for me, that was a serious achievement. Uh, there are academic programs. Um, there are some fantastic ones uh, in just a few universities around the world, and, and I'm studying through one of those. And there's a lot of groups that are doing some really good work. But f- for myself, I mean, the, the minute I decided to become a futurist, I looked for the association and I joined them, and I'm learning at their feet. And and now I put on presentations, and they come and they listen to me, and they give me some feedback and feedback. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to learn, you want to be in the company of people who are doing that really, really well, because that's the way you learn faster. We can't learn on our own. We can't make this stuff up. We've got to, we've got to tap into the resources that are already there.
0: To be honest, I think that our current education system gives us this idea that you start from zero, you study until you get to a level where you can take some sort of exam or get some sort of certificate, and then you stop learning. And once you've stopped learning and you've got that certificate, then you can go and do something. You can you can start being productive. Whereas in reality, it's it's just it's just a very long slope that, that's forever going upwards. You you never stop becoming an expert. Oh, oh, I don't know if you can hear that. That's 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 our reminder uh, that we we have a little we have a little quiz uh, lined up here. Good. Let me just finish this business of the the learning yes. curve, then, because what I, from what you've just said, I understand that you're you're still on the learning curve. You're still studying. You're still acquiring knowledge yeah. and skills to broaden, deepen, strengthen your skills as a futurist. Yeah. And so what I'm going to do after the quiz I would like to go back to this business of how you started on the learning curve because I think from what you've said it wasn't that you initially signed up to do a course on futurism yeah that's right Right, okay good anyway let's let's quickly uh we'll we'll probably put a little jingle in here or something <laughs> uh, uh, the futurist quiz we've got three questions on telling the future Okay, this is just so that you can demonstrate your knowledge expertise as, as a futurist. Question number one Which famous futurist wrote the 1982 bestseller Megatrends?
1: Oh my goodness Um, I Had the book on my shelf, but I can't remember the name of the futurist. <laughs> That's embarrassing um, All right Educate me Who was it?
0: Answer, John Nesbitt. John
1: Nesbitt, yes, yes. He's written some very interesting books around that. And, and trends is uh, obviously the, the kind of thing when people think about futures, that's the first thing they think of is trends and scenarios. Um, and there's a lot more to it than that. But very good, thank you. <laughs>
0: yep. okay. Right. Question number two. In 1865, Jules Verne wrote an amazingly accurate story of a rocket called Columbia, mm-hmm. who took off from Florida with three men aboard to go to the moon and back. This, this was written in 1865. This is 100 years before the Apollo missions. Yes. What was the name of the novel?
1: <laughs> oh, now this is embarrassing because I know I've read it as well. Um, obviously, it's not Journey to the Center of the Earth because that's the opposite direction. Uh, all right let me know
0: from the earth to the moon from the earth
1: to the moon that's good <laughs>
0: <laughs> the clue was in the question I know it
1: was but I couldn't quite remember well done
0: <laughs> I, until I looked it up I had no idea that you'd actually yeah. written that you know and, and it's uh, amazing
1: uh, those stories that somehow you know and, and that's where people start getting suspicious about futures because there are some amazing coincidences of incredibly accurate not predictions, but but tales that have been told about things. I mean, that whole story about um, the Titanic as well, where somebody tells us the story about this um, ship sinking, and they got this whole book written out. And and it, you know, the Titanic life experience actually mirrored that so closely. And and this, yeah. I don't have an answer for those at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there, there must be a name for the phenomena of when the future is actually governed or influenced by the predictions that were made in The past, yes, for instance, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I could quite easily imagine that the reason why they called the space shuttle Columbia was because of the Jules Verne story, yes, yeah. So it's not a case that he predicted it, it's that he influenced it,
1: yeah.
0: Um, I, I, yeah. I enjoy
1: a lot of science fiction and time travel and uh, the kind of debates in the different movies and books about you know whether our knowledge of the future that we've gained somehow influences the current moment or not is, is really uh i mean deeply deeply philosophical questions that can't be answered we're watching a, a very old tv series at the moment called flash forward where everybody in the world falls asleep for two minutes and 17 seconds uh, and they all have this uh, this insight of what happens a couple of months into the future and now they're making decisions now that bring that about if they hadn't seen it they wouldn't have taken those actions And, you know, Mm -hmm. so the whole debate is, you know, whether if they knew or not, would it happen?
0: Yeah, my wife's a big fan of that. Oh, love
1: it. Yeah.
0: So is it possible to change the future? Do we have destiny or or not? Pretty determination. Very very profound. (laughs) profound. Yeah, I need another cup of coffee before I can start coping with this sort of thing. Anyway, question number three then. Question number three. You cannot think of predicting the future without the name of Nostradamus. Yes. So, the final question is, Nostradamus, what nationality was he? Where where did he come from? And do you know what his real name was?
1: Oh, my goodness, Ian, you're giving me note for three here. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling that he's Italian, uh, but I have no idea what his real name is.
0: I, I got all this stuff from, from Wikipedia. <laughs> so, he's real. He, he was French.
1: French, okay.
0: Believe it or not, so you're almost uh, Italian French. yeah, same area. Yes, they're, they're practically <laughs> the same. Yes, right. apologies, so apologies to any French <laughs> or Italian uh, listeners uh, out there. He was French, and his real name was Michael Notre Dame.
1: Okay.
0: Mich- Michel, Michel de Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, putting on my worst French accent there, <laughs> or, or Mickey 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 Notre Dame. Yeah for his best friends I always thought that yeah that he was some sort of strange uh, Latin type yes. character he I mean, was just, just just a French guy yeah. and and curiously enough he started university at uh, the University of Avignon and he had it cut short he he only did one year because of coronavirus
1: yeah the plague. well not coronavirus <laughs> the plague yeah
0: his he, university years was cut short because of the plague mm-hmm and this this is what in the 1500s yes this is a long time a
1: ago. long time ago and we still remember his name because uh he was really good at branding uh Michael Nostradamus, you know so what but Nostradamus sounds uh like really interesting and mysterious and worth listening to oh good oh. questions Ian well done okay <laughs> hey, anyway back
0: on track then. yes so the learning curve, which is of course one yes. of my favourite favourite mm. topics of discussion, we are all born with no experience. Mm-hmm. We all get up the the learning ladder to become the the level that we achieve. It's it's you know it's interesting to bear in mind that people like Richard Branson, who are great business people, they were all born with no knowledge of how to run a business whatsoever. They started on the learning curve. They just went up and up and up and up. And so with yourself as becoming a futurist, how did you start? At what point did you think, well, now I know sufficient to try and actually do it in some sort of serious professional sense?
1: Wow, a good question. So just to kind of tie it back to what we were talking about before the quiz is that you know, people who think that they can learn, uh, get a certificate, reach a level, and they're done. And that is a brilliant way to become utterly irrelevant and redundant in the future, because uh, the, the world is changing, things are changing around you, and we have to keep responding to it. And I think that that almost gives us permission these days to to experiment, uh, to fail a few times. Uh, but, but those of us who, who love learning and love sharing, we don't have to be an expert. I, I'm a futurist, but I cannot be an absolute expert in every element of futures thinking because it's such a broad field. I mean, there's the science science fiction stuff, which I enjoy, um, but there's p- political futures, economic futures, legislation, technology, uh, the environment, there are so many different topics. So so we can't be expert. And we have to really put that aside, uh, the the ego and the arrogance aside and say that, We can be really good, but we're going to encounter somebody who knows things that we don't, and that is that is an invitation for us to to that's why I call myself an alchemist. Is um, an alchemist puts elements together and experiments and tries things uh, without thinking that they're an absolute expert in what they're doing. So for myself, I bring the the models and the experience and the insights that I have to work with a company uh, or with a client with what they have, all of their insights and, and experience and knowledge about their industry, which I don't have. And together we co-create something new. So that this is always this um, learning something and passing it on. And then the in the passing on of some insight, we learn some more. We, we can really move past the whole concept of this imposter syndrome, feeling like we, we don't know enough to call ourselves a futurist, or we don't know enough to call ourselves whatever the field is that, that we're working in. Um, we know stuff that other people don't have. And I, I, I see it as my responsibility. It's not everyone's responsibility. But but in the space that I work in, it's my responsibility to pass that on. I don't want knowledge and insight to land in, in my head and for it to stay there. I want to be able to share it with other people. So I share it on to others. I, I help them along the journey. And then there's somebody else who's going to help me. So in my in my model of a map, compass and a guide, the map is, is time. We, we're we're traversing this trail into the future and we don't know what is there. It, it hasn't been mapped yet. There's this whole terra incognita, this unknown land uh, that we're going into. But if we've got the right people on the team uh, on the, this expedition journey, then, then we can make the journey into the future. So we, we don't need to worry that we haven't learned enough. We just need to keep learning and exploring and, and developing as, as individuals and as a species. And There's no arrival point. Uh, There's no end point. Uh, Even you've written a book, you've got a degree, you're still on the journey. For myself, I I was in one field. um, I was kind of tired and I wanted something new. And I started looking around. And when I discovered Futures Thinking, it was like I had come home. Um, That everything that I had been learning and seeking and reading and enjoying over the years just found expression in in Futures Thinking. And uh, that's why I'm working in, in that space now.
0: So when you talk about that you use the the map, the compass and the guide to help your, your clients. Do you have any concrete success stories? Could you explain how you've helped a person?
1: Um, lots of kind of anecdotal uh, information, but I'll, I'll tell you how we brought it to life uh, in, in the association that I'm uh, president of at the moment, uh, Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa, if you're just thinking there is a whole range of different models and and processes that you can use, but obviously this is a a volunteer organization. We all volunteer our time and we all have our day jobs and and everyone is very busy. So I just did one exercise about about four years ago um, and it's called seven questions. It is deceptively uh, simple. But what it is, is, is a set of questions and you just kind of nuance the questions for the organization that you're talking to. And Instead of sending out a survey to our members saying, you know, what don't you like and what would you like us to do in the future, which everybody gives the same kind of cliched answers to, you take them through these, these questions and what you're doing is trying to get them to express their view of the past, the history that the association has had and their um, hopes and dreams for the future and what they think needs to happen right now and if they had full authority, if they were president um, and they were going to make changes, what would they look at? And what I did was I asked those questions. Um, we, we videoed and interviewed, uh, videoed the interviews uh, and they were quite time consuming, about 40 minutes. And I did a number of them. And we looked at um, our junior members and our, our more experienced senior members. We t- talked to people who had left the association, people who weren't even members yet. We did all of the, the demographics and we did all the different parts of the country. And then we put all the information together and we just expressed what people were thinking about the future of the association. And just by acting on those insights, the association has fundamentally changed. We we changed direction. It is a new association from what it used to be five years ago. Uh, We we have new values. uh, We have new people that we're pulling in. There's more expression of individuals being part of it and, and finding how to bring their genius into the association and contribute to their colleagues and, and, and uh, at the same time get benefit for themselves. We've literally rebranded and, and we've got all these other kind of collaborative groups that are happening so that we can create a a learner journey. So what, what speakers were saying is we're, we're coming into this association or into this, the profession and, and we're new, what is the career path? And in the past it was, well, come and learn and do whatever you're doing and good luck. But now we're actually saying, before you join the association, this is what you can learn. And when you join, you're here and here's a speaker class and here's a curriculum and, and here's coaching and and here's places where you can get more insight and, and here's badges and rewards along the way. But you're never there. You're going to keep learning and, and you're going to keep going and you're going to keep sharing with people. But people feel like they've got a path to follow. And all of that came, was initiated just out of asking these specific questions that guided them through the process. Uh, and... Ah, oh, I'm just I'm loving it. It's nobody has to be in charge of this association and run it because it's just evolving from the people themselves. Because we we have that that insight now.
0: So would you be prepared to share a, a, the trade secret of what your seven questions are? Yes.
1: All right. So we've got. Uh, th- And like I said, they're deceptively simple. When you hear them, you think, oh, that's just like another pop psychology quiz. But uh, what I've done is I've taken these seven questions, which are standard questions, which people have used, um, futurists have used all over the world for the kind of initial uh, gathering of intelligence before they they start on a futures process. Uh, But I've mapped this over my, my map. So Uh, when I actually do the analysis, we're looking at whether people are thinking about the past or the present moment or the future. So first question is, what would you identify as the critical issue for your organization for the future? Uh, And so a little bit of critical thinking um, being applied to that, that there's lots of different things that are important, but what for you is that critical issue? What is your vision for success? So that is uh, an imagination exercise. And a lot of futures thinking is about imagination. It's about developing um, how we think. Uh, if, if we can't imagine our preferred future, we can't create it. and We're just going to be subject to somebody else's uh, future. What are the dangers of not achieving your vision? And now that we're sort of going a little bit towards those worst case scenario. So if we don't achieve the vision, what happens to this organization, it becomes redundant or irrelevant, irrelevant was a word we use so many times. And we we don't want to be irrelevant, we want to be uh, a relevant organization. So uh, what does that look like? And you know, what happens if we don't get that vision, right, then what needs to change if your vision is to be realized, and the changes would be systems, relationship, decision making processes, culture, etc. And that ties a little bit to another fascinating futures model with the ridiculous name of causal laid analysis. Uh, And I say it's ridiculous because it sounds so intimidating. (laughs) But what it is, is just this uh, kind of iceberg vision of uh, at the top, we we see certain things that an organization is doing. We've got the evidence, number of members or the revenue or um, the product sales, whatever it is we're looking at. And and if we want to change, we try to change that. And you can't change w- at the top of the iceberg unless you go down. So what we got that that the visual data and be below that is the systems we use, and we create systems because of the worldview that we have, and we've got a worldview because of the stories we tell. So we work all the way down. And we uncover the stories we tell about why we do something or why this organization exists or why I have these kind of health problems or why this relationship is going south. You have all of those those stories. And then what you do is you change the stories. I would rather tell this story. And then you work your way up again. I'd rather tell these stories, which means I'm going to change my worldview about what is possible, which means I'm going to put more systems, different systems in place, which means we're going to have different results. And that is comes from that question, what um what what needs to change? Our fifth question is looking back, what would you identify as a significant event which has produced the current situation? And I love that question because it reveals so much about the people who are responding. Literally it says, looking back, what would you identify as a significant event which produced the current situation? And people would say, Charlotte, why do you have to ask such negative questions? And, and I would just play along and I'd hear what they have to say, but, but something significant had happened, which for them um, created this experience, which, which they didn't like. And, and, and they were living that without analyzing at all. And other people were saying, wow, all these things are happening and so exciting and, and we're learning so much and we're getting so much. And that person had a, just a totally different mindset about what the association was providing. Uh, sixth question is what needs to be done now to ensure that your vision becomes a reality? So now we're kind of analyzing a little bit in terms of, of futures thinking, what what direction are we going in? Uh, what path are we going to take? If we're traveling into the future, um, are we aiming somewhere specifically or are we just meandering around and seeing where we end up? Uh, but what do we need to, uh, to do now to ensure that that vision becomes a reality? And then the seventh question is a, a kind of like freedom from all the barriers and the constraints if you were uh, the boss, if you were in charge, if you were the president, what would you wish to include? And that reveals a little bit of what might have been missed so far, but also that person's real, um, they're kind of like the issue that sits with them in their heart the most. Um, they want to, you know, we, we need to do this. We need to think about those kind of people, stakeholders. We need to think about the environment. Um we need to, you know, whatever it is on their hearts. And, and you if you map those seven questions over a, a range of people in an organization, uh, if you're talking about, you know, regular business, it could be um you know, clients and stakeholders and suppliers and staff and senior management and investors. If you're talking about an education system, it could be the students, the parents, the teachers, the headmasters, um, the education uh, suppliers, um, the people that hire the children when they come out of that that, uh, that education process. You ask those questions, you get a uh, an incredibly, I, I used to get goosebumps asking these questions and just seeing how that flow kind of ebbed and flowed in terms of the, the, the questions and the responses and it just gave us so much valuable insight.
0: I think you started off by saying that that futurist uh, futurism is a very broad subject and yeah. can be applied to so many different things. Do you have a particular field of specialization?
1: Well like I said I, I like to work with associations um, particularly volunteer-led associations because you know the, the associations exist to uh, advocate on behalf of their members in a particular industry or profession, uh, but the people who are in those positions are very often uh, kind of, like on a rotor basis, they kind of thrust into leadership and they, they don't know how to prepare, and they have a short term of leadership, and then they step away just as soon as they've found their feet and their, their role is over. So I love to work with associations and to help them to see um, how they can craft a, a vision for the future that can be passed on. I also obviously love working with, uh, with anyone in the education field because it's just so essential to the future. It, it's, uh, we, we, we don't educate to a point and stop. We have to, uh, if we want to be relevant, we have to keep learning the whole time. And it doesn't have to be academic formal learning. It needs to be creative learning. It needs to be um, seeking things out, uh, a little bit of light scanning and then a deep dive into something that's important. And my, my one daughter has started studying a creative business degree in the Netherlands and her orientation session was, it came out of my futures manuals. It was all about getting them to think about the future and creative um, approaches and pulling ideas from different professions together and different fields together to create new opportunities. And that's the journey that they're going on. And for me, that is really awesome education.
0: I'm frustrated to hear this because we're coming to the end of our time, and I've got so many other <laughs> questions for you, Charlotte. But I'm going to round off the the session by asking you the uh, the final question. If you have uh, one important takeaway for our listener, one thing that could help them learn or or to to, to take away something useful, what would it be?
1: To be curious. Uh, it, it really, for me, is an absolute, um, the, the essence of what we're learning, it's the essence of what we need to go into the future. Uh, and in fact, when when I've been listening to some really technical insight about how the brain works and how the, the brain chemistry responds to stress and anxiety, and, and one of the best ways to cope with that, um, there's two elements to it, is you need more instructional information. You need more data into your brain if you want to be able to cope with what is coming. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, like I said, it does not have to be a university degree, but uh, there's TED Talks and there's open education systems online and there's uh, books and there's podcasts uh, just like this one. So we, we need that, that information and we need novel experiences. And if we put that input into our brain, information and novel experiences, our brain's plasticity can cope with the things, the changes that are coming in front of us. But we only have that if we have curiosity. Um, so, you know, uh, what is what is this concept that I've just heard? What does it mean? Where did it come from? Um, what is this book about? You know, we, we don't want to read the same books the whole time. We want to read from a different uh, a different perspective or somebody in, in a different part of the world. I try and pick up books that are not, uh, you know, that are translated from other languages because there's there's a, a there's a, a mindset and an insight from writers in that space that is totally different, so we we just have to really nurture our curiosity and explore it. And it just, I mean, besides being great for the future and great for our education, it makes life so much more interesting and worth living.
0: So, if our listener wanted to get in touch with you, where could they where could they find you?
1: They can find me on LinkedIn, and they can find my website, which is charlottekemp.co.za. It's the uh, South African um, uh, site. Uh, you wouldn't want to go and look for the dot-com version because that's a different Charlotte Kemp entirely. So, um, And, and I'm, I'm very willing. I have uh, spaces in my diary just to have these kinds of conversations with people about their insights or their questions because when I'm curious and when we have those kind of conversations, we, we both learn and come away with something new. So I'm very, very willing to have a conversation with any of your listeners. Thank you, Ian.
0: Thank you very much. Charlotte Kemp, future's alchemist. I hope you have a bright and prosperous future. And I look forward maybe we have an opportunity at some point to to pick up all the other questions that we never got time to ask and continue from there. Lovely and thank, thank you so Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this.
0: My pleasure. Bye for now. <laughs>